In Matthew 4.19, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Join us in this conversation as we discuss following Jesus, leadership, and doing life with others. Welcome to the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. Hello and welcome to the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. I'm your host today, Mark Danzi, and we are blessed beyond belief to have a, a good friend of mine, Dr. Brian Russell, with us. Good afternoon, Brian. Hey, Mark. It's great to be here. This is going to be fun. It sure is. You're in sunny Orlando or rainy Orlando. I think there's a hurricane hitting just near you some, or something today. Well, since I live in Orlando, I'm going to prove it. I don't have any idea what's going on because I, I didn't check the weather today, but it is it is raining today, so perhaps I should be paying better attention. <laughs> well, yeah, there you go. Well, you're in Orlando. I'm in Atlanta, and I think it's raining all the way between. We're praying for our friends on the coast that everything is okay there. I've been watching the news there. But today, you and I are going to talk about uh, several topics. Uh, centering prayer is an area that you're an expert in. But just for our listeners, uh, I want to let you know that Brian is a, or Dr. Russell, excuse me, is a, is a pastor. He's the Old Testament professor at Asbury Theological Seminary, where he's been, I don't know, you've been on staff there over 20 years or so, right, Brian? Yeah, this is 21st year in a row, and this is actually going to be my 23rd year as a, as a teacher, but the 20, 20, uh, 21 now in a row. Wow. He's also the dean of the Orlando uh, campus. He's an author. He's written three books, and you've got your fourth book coming out on Centering Prayer. We're excited about that, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today if, if you're up for it. And I got to know you, though, through the coaching world. You're also a, a very accomplished coach, and so um, you and I have been swapping stories around that realm we have for a while, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, and everybody can just, I, you can just call me Brian. I, I only, only people call me Dr. Russell are people that, uh, well, the only people I asked to call me Dr. Russell or people I don't like, which isn't very many people off to say. So I just go by Brian. I'm just a brother in Christ here. So. All right, Brian. Well, thank you. You've also written a ton of Bible study curriculum. I know that about you. Uh, you're married. I know you've got several children. You're a soccer fan. I can see you're wearing a Manchester United shirt. I don't know. Is that your favorite team? Yeah, that's my favorite team in England. Yeah, my all-time favorite team is AC Milan in Italy, but they haven't been doing so good lately, and I don't get they, and they're on my cable networks. So I don't get to see them as much. And you're not representing on the shirt, so it, it must it must be a tough year. <laughs> well, it's been a tough year for a long time for Milan fans. Now United, we're we're back. This we're back again, so it's okay. awesome. <laughs> well, hey man, our listeners are eager to know you a little bit more and kind of how you came to faith. What's your faith journey story? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's uh, it's really it's, it's really interesting. Um, I, I grew up in the United Methodist Church. Um, my uh, home church is in Akron, Ohio. Hope United Methodist, and uh, that church came out of the evangelical side of the what became the United Methodist Church, and then it was an Evangelical United Brethren Church, and then it was a UM Church. And so, if you know that side of our uh, United Methodist heritage, I come from uh, more of the Pietistic background rather than the higher church side of things. And uh, that church was a real blessing. I, uh, my parents started going there when I was five years old, and I grew up there, went to Sunday school. I got my King James Bible when I was, I think, in third or fourth oh, grade. Yeah. They passed those out. It was a strong <laughs> Bible church. We had outstanding uh, Bible preaching uh, pastors, I, almost all of whom went to Asbury Seminary, the, the better ones uh, did. And uh, all that uh, led me to basically 
be a person of no faith by the time I was a teenager <laughs> or a person of struggling faith. And that's not unusual, but I, I had a great foundation and, uh, and again, great, great first church, uh, local church there. Um, it was like two or 300 people. So it was a family church. I, I mean, I know people to this day. It was so, so wonderful. But when I essentially made it into high school, like uh, most, uh, I think adolescents had identity issues. Um, I had been, um, I was, I was very, I was still am. I mean, I'm a professor, so I, I ended up being a valedictorian in high school. Um, always been really good at school, probably too smart for the area I grew up in. No offense to Akron, Ohio. So I always stuck out and I was a nerd and before there were nerds. And I, oh, you started the nerd craze. Well, I, I would have fit in perfectly. I would have been like the coolest guy around if I would have been born about 20 years later, I guess. But I basically super socially awkward, super introverted, shy. And so, and I went to a really rough um, uh, middle school and basically got made fun of and picked on almost every single day. And that was awful for me. And that I know that hurt my faith. And uh, even going into high school, I just, I, I kind of try to put on I always joke that as bad of a boy as I could be after growing up in the church, which grand scheme of things, I wasn't terribly bad, but in my brain, I was rebelling in all the ways that uh, whatever way I could. And so, uh, again, to cut cut it short, I mean, that failed too. Ended up getting um, beat up by a guy because I was trying to stick up for my brother. And then I'm like, geez, I can't even be a bad guy. I just got beat up. So, I was back (laughs) into the same piece. And uh, and, and then I'm going to high school. And so, I went to middle school, seventh, eighth, and ninth grades. And so, high school for me, the first year was 10th grade. And so I go to high school, just kind of floundering around, um, really super, I mean, again, I'm not talking, I was really smart. I mean, I was, um, there were probably three or four kids in my high school and we all had the same classes together. We were in the gifted class and stuff. So I, I had that, mm. but in faith came to me. Yeah. I, I knew about you kids. I remember you kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, 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 faith came to me because the youth, a, a guy who was about 30, 31 years old, took over the youth group at Hope Church or was one of the youth leaders. We had other ones, but I really gravitated to a guy named Steve Miller. He's a friend to this day. He's like in his, um, I think, middle 60s now by this point. But he was an, uh, an engineer at Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company up in Akron. Oh. And he was the smartest person I had ever met up until that point in my life. And he was super good at math. And so for some reason, I looked to him as a model because I respected him and he was a Christian Uh and he really believed the Bible. And so remember at um, my 10th grade year on the uh, New Year's Eve party, uh, he challenged us um, that we should all read the Bible through the next year. And I remember thinking, well, that's a terrible idea. I'm not going to do that. But it was that was that that was planted in my ear. And then, I mean, just a couple months later, this would have been, um, see, I would have been going on 16, so I'm 15. It would have been 1985, uh, probably February, March. Um, again, my things still weren't really going well for me. Uh, still trying to figure my way out in the world. And uh, I just remember seeing my Bible. I still had that old Bible that I'd gotten at Hope Church when I was like 10 years old. It was sitting in my um, my bedroom. And I thought about Steve and I just thought, you know what, what else do I have to lose? So I literally picked the Bible up and I, I, I said, God, I mean, this, this was a real prayer. And there's some prayers that God will always answer. And I think this is one of them. I said, uh, God, if you're real, if you're real, reveal yourself to me through the Bible. 
Hmm. And so I just um, kind of popped the Bible open, which again, don't necessarily recommend this particular practice as a Bible scholar. And I don't remember where I got to, but I, I landed luckily somewhere in the gospels and I just started reading. And again, there, it wasn't like I had an on the spot conversion, but the one thing I'm grateful for again, Hope Church, and this is back in the eighties. I don't think they still do this. I mean, they had revivals at my church where they would actually bring an evangelist in fall and spring. And we do a whole week of, of, of revival meetings. And I know the listens are going to be stunned. People would actually show up for these things. Yeah, it was the, it was the eighties. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, and so I, I was there, um, every night, um, mostly cause I liked some of the girls that were at the church. There was no other good reason yeah. there, but I've been reading the Bible and the evangelist, I was preaching on something that I had just read, oh, and wow. I had a classic kind of evangelical experience where I literally, again, I don't remember anything about the sermon. All I really remember is when the altar call came that I knew it was my time, and even mm-hmm. my, in all my shyness, I remember trying to even hold on for dear life onto the pew, but I mm-hmm. somehow got lifted up, I mean, not met- metaphorically, and find myself right. down at the altar and gave my life to Jesus at that point. And that gave me the identity that I, I guess, had been seeking. Yeah. And I went all in from that point and uh, just started reading the Bible, went to church every service. Every time the door was open, I was there. Um, kind of made whatever rebel- my rebellious spirit just became, I'm going to be for Jesus. And I bet Steve was excited for you. He was watching your conversion firsthand. Yeah, he was. Uh, the whole youth, I mean, the youth pe- folks, they were wonderful, um, you know, and those were good friends of mine. Um, and so got called into ministry pretty quick after that. Um, were you still in high school when you got called into ministry? My pastor told me when I was 18, when I was a senior, that I should consider ministry because um, I had been hanging around all the time. And my pastor let me be his pastoral intern between my freshman and sophomore year of college. And I got to oh. start. I preached, I preached my first sermon when I was 19. How about that? Um, you know, we can unpack all that, some other conversation. But I mean, I mean, so everything went pretty quick. So I was in the ordination process when I was 19 or 20. Wow. Graduated. I, I changed my major from engineering to um, history, and so I could do more. I did Greek in college. I was at the University of Akron, so I was going. That was a good engineering school, but I switched to liberal arts, and I went straight to Asbury Seminary at age 22. Graduated at 25. I pastored a small church while I was in seminary from um, my third year. At so I and then I was a. Asbury then kind of messed my calling up somewhat because they invited me to be a professor right off the bat. And so I started teaching at Asbury when I was 25. So you're a seminary professor at 25. My goodness. You know, I started seminary at 30. (laughs) You're a much quicker study than I was. Yeah. Well, actually, I I was hired as a professor at Asbury when I was 30. So I started at 25 doing uh, Greek and Hebrew for two years, went and did the PhD and I was back. I was, I didn't start when I, I, I was hired still when I was 30 and then wow. I was 31 by the time I started. So I've been, uh, basically been an Asbury lifer. If you think about it, I've been at Asbury since 1991, hmm. either as a student or a teacher, except for the four years that I was in residence at, um, what was then union, um, theological seminary in Richmond, Virginia. So in your opinion, you, you have taught literally hundreds, thousands maybe of pastors over the years. Yes. And um, of course, when it comes to spiritual formation, uh, many of our listeners today uh, are not pastors, of course. They won't go to seminary. It's not God's call in their life, and that's great. Um, But they are interested in spiritual growth. They are interested in 
knowledge and growing closer to Christ. But what have you seen in all your years, Brian, that's the most helpful advice on how to grow in faith? Yeah, that's, a, uh, you know, that's my growing edge in, in my life over the last 10 years as I've been trying to answer that question. I think the key thing for growing in faith is, first, it's an attitude. You have to be able to be 100% honest with yourself and with mm. God about your weaknesses, uh, your sins, and your strengths, that's absolutely critical because sometimes, especially if you get into the church really far, um, there comes a point where you really can't get help for the things that you need help for sometimes because people already put you up on a pedestal and then your identity will be crushed. And so mm. it's critical to be 100% open to what God wants to do in your life and to be honest with yourself. Um, like I always tell folks, I mean, just I'm, I'm, I have a second piece too, but like I f- feel in some ways less holy than I used to feel. Like I used to think I was holier than I am now. And I actually think that that's probably good. And I'm probably, <laughs> and I think that's the right thing because um, I understand my weaknesses. Um, I know I can't run through brick walls. I know that um, I have to trust God and open up areas of my life to that. And so it's, and I like to use the illustration, like, um, you know, you've got to be willing to take your glasses off if you, I mean, I wear glasses and hold them up to the light. And then suddenly those glasses that you thought were so clear, you can just see every speck of dirt. And so I think part of it is, again, be radically open to our ongoing need for grace. Now, the second piece, now that's the attitude that we have to take on. And so, and when you take that attitude on, I think we can be astonished uh, by God's grace. Um, but then there's another piece, and that's, I think, maybe closer to what maybe you were asking about, is once you get that attitude of, I need God to clean every nook and cranny of my life mm-hmm. out, at that point, then, you know, what helps us grow? And then this is where the, the, the churchy answer comes in. It's the classic means of grace. Um, we're going to have some relationship to the scriptures. Again, that's how it started for me. Um, worship, prayer. Um, you, ha- you need to be around uh, other Christians in some kind of group that's going to really pull you together because we end up being the average of the five people that we spend the most time with. So you need to have a good tight knit group. But when I list those things, I always go back to the attitude first because a lot of times the thing that we make the mistake of is we tell Christians, you should mm-hmm. be doing all this stuff. Yeah. And should is a terrible word because if I should be doing something, it probably means I'm not. And so all I do is feel bad. Mm-hmm. And growth as a Christian isn't about feeling bad. It's about receiving God's abundant love um, as a pure act of grace. And then, you know, so when we take that attitude that I need, I want to grow, that I'm going to be transparent, um, it's not should anymore. Those things become musts for us because they become the very, the means of grace become the very fuel so that we can be the hands, the feet, the mouthpieces of Jesus. So that, that's 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 how I'd answer your question, Mark. Uh, you know, you said radically, we've got to be radically open to our need for grace. Wow. That's an incredible statement. Radically open. So it's this concept, what I'm hearing you say is this concept that um, maybe uh, spiritual growth comes when we're just more real with God about our needs and quit putting on the faces and the airs and the masks that everything's okay, right? It's like uh, when you go into church and somebody says, how are you? If your first response is fine, you probably need to go to the altar and pray. 
<laughs> yeah, like, um, you know, Maxie Dunham was the uh, president at Asbury when I came back to, and, uh, and, and, you know, he has so many wonderful resources. But I, when I heard him when I was a student, I guess now I was a teaching fellow. I heard him, he preached in chapel and he shared a prayer. I think this comes out of his workbook of living prayer. But he said that we should all pray, um, God, help me believe the truth about myself, no matter how wonderful it is. <laughs> now, and I just remember thinking, geez, that sounds completely heretical. And that offended me that when he said that, and I couldn't pray that. And I, cause I think I had a messed up view of myself. Um, but the older I've gotten, that's, and, and, and it's funny, I never forgot that prayer, even though I didn't like it. And I used to tell other people to pray it, though I never prayed it myself. Um, <laughs> But now I see the real wisdom in that it's, uh, you know, we're persons loved by God and I'll do my little um, darker twist on Dunham's prayer. Cause I think that's the prayer you start with. And once we begin to allow God's grace to flow in and feel loved, then we can ask a more devastating question. Lord, help me believe the truth about myself, no matter how horrible it is. Mm, both. Yeah. So it's like, I like, and that to me, a lot of spiritual formation is being willing to see the, the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. You know, some of us need to see more of the good in us. Mm-hmm. And then some of us actually need to become more aware of the bad parts of ourselves. And there's a, there's a balance, but most, and most of us need some balance of that. Well, and, and all of it just, I think lives in the space of it's truth, whatever is true, right? Yeah, it's incredible. Well, you've been a professor of Old Testament. Uh, that's your uh, kind of expertise. I know I've talked to so many pastors all over the country when I mentioned Asbury, and I say, do you know a guy named uh, Dr. Russell? And they all, Brian, I'm not just telling you this. I'm telling you the truth. They always go, oh, I love that guy, or oh, I took his class, or oh, I wanted to take his class, because you've, you've built quite a reputation for yourself as an Old Testament professor. Um, how do you, how difficult is it to take this concept, all these stories that are some for some people hard to get their arms around from the Old Testament, and connect it to the new to the to the life today of of spiritual growth and spiritual formation? How do you make that leap from some of those abstract concepts to how I live today as a father and a husband or a, uh, or, or an employer in faith? Yeah, um, well. To me, the Old Testament is more obviously relevant in some ways than the New Testament is, especially today. And so that, that's probably shocking to say that. But, yeah. that, but, it, but I, I, I spend a great deal of time in my classes essentially um, helping folks to understand that the worldview and the um, spirituality that's assumed in the Old Testament is actually the exact same spirituality that we have in, in 21st century America, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, and, and by the way, the new, te- it's true, the new Testament too, but sometimes the new Testament just seems more obviously relevant, even though they're dealing with a lot of the same realities that the old Testament did as well. And so one of the things that I, I do is I teach the Bible as a big story and I connect the old Testament really carefully to the new Testament. And I show how it's essentially, I mean, and this is, you're asking me, I could just talk for three hours now on this one question, but, <laughs> but basically what I try to do is I try to show that the whole Bible is a story. And by story, I don't mean not a, a work of fiction, but it actually has an overarching narrative to it. And the old Testament is essentially act one in the new Testament would be act two. And if you've seen a play, you can't, I mean, you can watch Act 2, but you're not going to understand the full significance of it. And so basically, just in a, a quick nutshell, I mean, basically, here's the story of the Bible. It starts off with creation, and God makes a very good 
perfect world with humanity at its pinnacle as created in his hands, his feet, his mouthpieces. And God's desire was for people, men and women, to live all over the planet, fill the earth, and be God's visible representatives on the whole earth to all creation. That's what to be Hmm. created in the image of God actually means. Now, tragically, what happens? Sin enters the world. That's the next part of the story. So you have creation, then you have the fall. And uh, in the in the fall, humanity's corrupted and creation is corrupted. So at that point, God has to pivot. And we've heard that word a lot in 2020, but God's mission pivots <laughs> because now God has to not only redeem creation, but God has to redeem the one part of creation that were supposed to be God's hands, feet, mouthpieces, humanity. Hmm. So how does God do that? Well, that's the rest of the Old Testament. God calls one people because Israel doesn't show up until essentially Genesis 12 when God calls Abraham. And from Genesis 12 all the way through Malachi then, we have God uh, calls a one people. One, well, actually, it starts with one family who become a people by, me, by, uh, by, um, by means of God's going to bless all the nations. What are all the nations? That's Genesis 1 to 11. So the whole story of the Old Testament is God calling a people on mission, Israel, to be his missional people that reflect God's char- character to the world, in the world, and for the world. And so the Old Testament teaches us what it looks like to live as God's people in a world that doesn't yet know who God is. Sounds sounds exactly like today. Yeah, exactly. And 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 the and the tw- the challenges in the Old Testament. Um, again, I'm working on another book right now, but so you're catching me right on. Um, the challenge of the Old Testament is we know, and Jesus summarizes every all God's rule laws by what? Love God, love neighbor. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that comes straight out of the Old Testament. That love God is Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5, the Shema. Uh, love your neighbor is Leviticus 19, 18. And what's so critical is, again, you want to flip that because the opposite of that is the key to what makes the Old Testament relevant. The opposite of loving God is in hating God. It's being conflicted in having shared alliances and allegiances to all the other gods, and the opposite of loving your neighbor is injustice. And so you have idolatry and syncretism and injustice as the dominant counter narratives to the world that God desires. And so the prophets, um, the, the whole teaching of the Old Testament is to um, call God's people out of that, out of a world of injustice and idolatry, mm-hmm. to be a people that love God, love neighbor as self, and live as God's witnesses. Then obviously Jesus comes, um, and, uh, you know, and then we have the church, and then after Jesus' life, death, resurrection, God uh, unleashes the church in the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, and where His witnesses let me, let me until let me creation happens. Yeah. So you said that um, the opposite of loving God in the Old Testament is not hating God, but having other allegiances to other idols. Yes. I'm so glad that doesn't happen today. Right. I know. We should, if only. Right. <laughs> if and this only. whole thing, like I always tell people, like um, I, I like so maybe some of the reasons people like me as a professor is I always confess at the beginning of class, I'm Brian Russell and I'm a recovering polytheist. <laughs> and, and I'm dead serious because that is what the work of sanctification and spiritual formation is. It's de-elevating all of the things that we treat as gods in our lives that compete with our ultimate allegiance to Jesus as Lord. 
Mm-hmm. And so like, in, you know, when you talk about gods and goddesses, um, obviously there are other gods in the, you know, if, if you do another religion, but all those gods are real because they represent real things. There were gods of um, affluence, gods of sex, gods of family, yeah. gods of fertility, gods of food, mm-hmm. gods of wine, God, and, and a lot of this stuff's good stuff, right? So the purposes of sanctification is just getting all of those things under the lordship of Christ. And so that's, you know, that's why I get excited about the Old Testament. You can't hide from the Old Testament. <laughs> it's such a discipleship principle, too, the concept of lordship. Yeah, uh, we we like to teach that the four calls of Christ are, of course, salvation, lordship, discipleship, and then disciple making. And that lordship piece, it's really a lifetime journey, in my opinion. It's not a decision we made one time, and and now Jesus is Lord. But it's something I think we have to declare and try to live out, work out our own salvation, right, with fear and trembling, continue in that way. So, so many today, though, uh, when it comes to the Old Testament, I, I bet you if you a lot of churches, a lot of pastors stray away from the Old Testament preaching and preach a lot more out of the New Testament, even though the Old Testament's two-thirds, right? Uh, what, what encouragement would you give to, uh, say, Bible study leaders or discipling leaders uh, when it comes to approaching the Old Testament? Should we stay away from it? Should we uh, embrace it? What? Well, I do have to say, I mean, obviously, at some level, the Old Testament in certain places is really difficult to understand and work with. But we also have to remember that the New Testament has books that are really hard, too. So we do want to say that, right? Good point. So, But what I would say, um, I mean, it's critical for the church to remain anchored in the Old Testament. I mean, as you said, I mean, there's lots of even famous pastors now that are moving away from the Old Testament. But the early church said that um, you can't get rid of the Old Testament and be Christian. So we have to grapple with it. So all I would say to Bible study leaders is, you know, I wouldn't recommend, say, jumping immediately into Leviticus with a Bible study. Or, I mean, there's other books that are harder, say, like, you know, the genealogies in Second or First Chronicles and things like that. But what you should focus on I mean, is the book of Psalms is a great place for everybody listening to this. Read a Psalm every single day and ask yourself, how does this teaching me to pray? Mm. And that's going to introduce you to a lot of the stuff in the Old Testament. And what kind of person would I need to be to pray this? Um, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, critical books in understanding who God's people are. Books like Isaiah, some of the uh, the prophets. I mean, those books are are good to read. Even books like Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Those are a little different because they're wisdom books. But there's lots of stuff in the Old Testament that would be fun to teach that people could get excited about uh, as long as you avoid a couple of things. Like you never want to moralize on the Old Testament because if you just take the stories and look for some principle for living, you'll get yourself in in trouble sometimes. But if you look and see, (laughs) this is God shaping a people. That's why I go back to that story. It's creation, fall, Israel, Jesus, church, new creation. You want to see this whole thing as a journey and these texts are shaping us uh, to be God's missional people, so mission, community, and holiness. That and So how do these texts teach us to be on mission for God? How do these texts teach us to be a community that exists for God's mission? How do these texts call us to reflect God's character in our culture? So I always kind of in, remember, uh, teach students to think about the bigger pictures. So you, you never want to get stuck just staring at one little paragraph thinking, what the heck is this crazy story? You got to step back 
and see it in the whole context of the scripture. Again, now that's sometimes a big ask for, you know, uh, a, a person who maybe not, doesn't know the Bible really well, but there's mm-hmm. resources. And if you stick with like the major mm-hmm. books of the Old Testament, you're giving people a gift. Like, you know, I'll put a shameless plug in for my own curriculum from sure. Seedbed, a book called, um, in, well, I was going to hold it up, but this isn't on videos. I have a book <laughs> called Invitation that comes out from Seedbed. It has a video. It's 10 weeks as videos each week. And I walk you through the big pictures of the scripture of the, of the whole Bible. And, and that's a really good introduction to the old Testament. It gives you frameworks for doing the rest of the, of the material. And I guess that's what I've been able to do as a professor is I give students interpretive frameworks that allow them then to burrow down deep in any given text because they have a, a framework for understanding what it is, mm-hmm. you know? So like if your average person just jumps in and like starts reading Leviticus, they're like, what in the world is this? <laughs> yeah. Well, what I love about you, Brian, and I know you pretty well, is that you teach in such a real way. You're just a real guy, go down to earth. Uh, you're hilarious, by the way. If people get to know you, they realize that. And I hear you're a guitar shredder too. I gotta, I gotta hear some licks sometimes. But the fact that you could take the Old Testament and just summarize it. So this this uh, curriculum invitation through that you can get through Seedbed is it's uh, ten weeks of just kind of an overview of the whole Bible. Is that what it is? Yeah, and in, in the way that yeah, it's it's yeah, it's that that's the best way to say it. And if they would if they go on to Seedbed and look up for invitation, they can even watch one of the videos and they can see kind of what it works out. But it's a, it's designed for people that don't really even know anything about the Bible. But I think there's enough meat there that even a seasoned Bible reader will find new frameworks that will help them. Wow, that sounds that sounds really good. Well, I want to be sensitive to your time. You're a busy guy. I know you're coaching people as well. I want to ask you about your coaching in just a moment too. But um, tell us a little bit about this book you got coming out on Centering Prayer. I, I would venture to say that there's at least one listener out there. Oh, by the way, hi, Mom, uh, who does not know uh, <laughs> what Centering Prayer is. How would you describe that? Yeah, the easiest way to describe it, and by the way, um, I didn't even know what this was up until this last decade of, of my life. I'd never heard of it, but I'm so glad that I found out about it. It's, um, you might call it Christian meditation. And some people get freaked out by the word meditation, but it's meditative prayer. And essentially what it is, it's, it's really the prayer of silence. Um, like Richard Foster has in his book, Celebration of Discipline, talks about silence and solitude. So it's actually sitting in a book like that, but um, it's a centering prayer. Instead of um, using words to pray, which, you know, like the Lord's Prayer or saying your own kind of spontaneous prayer, literally so easy. I can, I mean, here's how you do centering prayer. Set a timer. I use my Fitbit, so I get a little vibration. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I usually say, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the Jesus prayer. And then I close my right. eyes and I sit in silence and I do it for 20 minutes every morning. And on some days I actually do it um, multiple 20 minute sessions, but every day, at least 20 minutes. And you just sit in silence. And if you've ever done that, you know that you don't just sit in silence. Your brain Mm -hmm. is racing around. And essentially you take a prayer word. I use Jesus. This is where the, the centering part comes in. And so whenever you find yourself lost in a thought, an image, which will be, by the way, most of the time, you just, I just, you kind of say to yourself, Jesus, and it just breaks open the thought and you're re-surrendering yourself. You're basically saying, God, I'm going to surrender my thoughts to you and sit in silence. Please come and be with me. And this is um, uh, a precursor to what's what like mystics and contemplatives would call contemplative prayer, where you really feel Uh, like you have a union with God. Now that doesn't happen every time. 
um, or even maybe for me, it doesn't happen most of the time, but um, I found that sitting in silence for a person like me who thinks all the time mm-hmm. has literally been oxygen in my life and it's been transforming. And my new book is called Centering Prayer and the Journey um, to Love comes out sometime in 2021 with Paraclete, mm-hmm. and it's um, autobiographical on how centering prayer essentially, um, I'm going to say, um, this is probably too strong, um, saved my own faith as I rebooted my life after my divorce, because everything wow. kind of went dark on me. Mm-hmm. And it was contemplative practices like centering prayer and journaling that uh, God's grace came back into my life and, and the lights came back on for me. And so I'm super grateful for it. And the book is pretty transparent. So, I mean, it's everything I just said and more is um, going to be in the book. And I also reflect and teach on what it is and what you do with the thoughts that come in your mind and how God can use centering prayer to essentially as, as a, you know, I'm a Methodist. Like I consider centering prayer one of the ways that God's sanctifying grace can work in our lives by getting out all the junk on the inside. So, um, you know, mm-hmm. I'd love to talk about it more, but that's probably enough for right now, unless you want to follow up. Well, I mean, summarize, it sounds like uh, how an ADD person can get a lot more out of their prayer life. Yeah, ironically, <laughs> by not praying, right? You're sitting in silence. <laughs> yeah, that sounds that sounds glorious to a guy like me. Yeah, and, and like, and here's a great image for centering prayer. Centering prayer is, um, again, you're not supposed to have image, but here'd be an image that sort of describes it. Picture Peter when Jesus is walking on the water and Jesus says, come out. Now, as long as Peter is centered on Jesus, he stays on the water. The second he gets distracted, he starts to sink. And so if you picture sitting in silence as you're kind of Peter walking on water with your your tension to be with Jesus, whatever, whenever you get distracted by a thought that's pulling you out, then you just say, Jesus, save me, you know, metaphorically. And that's what centering prayer is. It's that repeatedly realigning with, uh, with Jesus in the silence. Mm. You know, I've heard other people in centering prayer to find other words, you know, whatever works for you, like just different words each week, maybe like this week, I'm going to focus on grace. Yes. You know, or like you, for, for you, Jesus, save me. Um, Whatever it is, it gets you back into this silent meditation. Yeah, I've heard it said that, um, and I think Foster says it in the book Celebration of Discipline that you referred to, was that Eastern meditation is about emptying yourself, and Christian meditation is more focused on on something, like you just mentioned, on a on a concept or a, or, or a spiritual aspect of our life. But let me go back for just a second, if you don't mind, and you don't have to go too deep on this, but I think it's interesting when a pastor or a Somebody like you, right out of high school, goes to seminary, you wind up teaching at seminary, and then you go through the gut punch of divorce, or you go through a thing that's really rattled your faith. You mentioned that it took you to darkness, but then, of course, Jesus reaches his hand as you're drowning and pulls you back out. What would you want us to know about how God brought you through that darkness? Yeah, that's an interesting question. What would I want others to know about how God brought me through the darkness? Well, I, I think, it, I mean, it's, it sounds too cliche just to talk about God being faithful and God not giving up on, on me. And I think that's a good word, though, that God comes looking for us. And, and I think... Um, you know, I, I think what we, what I should also, we should also know is we can recognize that um, we're not going to always be as certain as we'd like to be. And sometimes an uncertainty plays a huge role in Christian faith and complexity. Mm-hmm. And those are not easy to talk about. And it can, and, but, but I think that could be an encouraging word that there's not always easy answers 
Um, and when really, really bad times come and you're just um, disintegrated, you have, to, you, you have to essentially rely on, on God to be God and then and also good friends that are there. Um, you know, I always think about Psalm 73. It's one of my favorite ones. It says God starts off the first verse is uh, truly God is good um, to the upright um, or truly God is good to Israel to those who are upright in heart. Uh, but then the second verse is, but as for me, my feet almost slipped. Wow. And it goes through this person that sort of starts losing faith, but then it, he has this turn where he encounters God in worship. But before the turn, he keeps his mouth shut and doesn't tell other people because he doesn't want to pull them down. So the community was keeping this guy sort of afloat until mm-hmm. God could work in there. And I know in my own life, um, had really good friends that reached out to me. Um, when I needed them. And also say that, um, you know, like, <laughs> I, I, I think you've heard me say this before. I, I, like, I'm, whenever I try to be an atheist, God doesn't let me. Because <laughs> no matter how many things I could feel like, geez, I'm just going to give up. I, these amazing things happened to me in the middle of all that darkness, where it was just like something that was like, you'd have to call it a God moment uh, that would be impossible to talk about. Um, um, happen like uh, I mean I, I don't mind sh- I could share like a two minute story here yeah. I think so like literally um, about let's see I'm gonna it was two or three weeks after my divorce was actually finalized and I'm literally fried on the inside I mean anybody that's gone through a divorce knows what that feels you're just fried um, emotionally and I'm terrified. Because, I mean, at that point, I, you know, the seminary is really good to me, and I'd been honest and transparent about the whole process. So, I know I wasn't, like, going to lose my job, but I was fried on the inside, and that was scary because mm-hmm. I didn't feel anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could still teach, but I'm on fumes. I was really worried that I wasn't going to be able to support my daughters. I ended up getting uh, basically full custody, but I was, um, the, you know, divorces are expensive, and there it was just, I didn't know if I was going to make it. So, I'm just terrified, too. Mm-hmm. And I had to fly up. Um, to teach for Asbury. Um, it was in Columbus and it was at a vineyard church in Columbus, a big church. And they had a cohort there. And uh, I'd been there a couple weeks before the divorce. And then I went back right at the end of the semester. So I'd been officially a divorced guy for like, th- for like three weeks. Um, um, and, and, and I was at that point, I was suffering insomnia. So I hadn't slept for like a month at this point either. So they're wow. teaching, but wow. again, I'm good at what I do, Mark. And so I could, nobody knew anything and nobody up there knew anything that was happening. You could hide it. You could hide it pretty well, huh? Yeah. I mean, but I, and I knew, I mean, I didn't want to go up there and wallow. I mean, it's like, it's, it's so, but I'm teaching and, and this guy comes up to me You and, um, uh, and, and this was a God moment. This guy comes up to me and goes, Brian, I, I think I need to tell you something. And, and this was astonishing. And I still can't, this is still unbelievable. And he goes, my wife and I have been praying all night and we have the gift of discernment and it's usually clear for us. This is exactly what they said. So we can't tell if this is from the devil or from God for sure, but we think it's from God. And this doesn't seem like it makes any sense, but I think we're supposed to give you this word. And and he goes, God told us to tell you, we know, know, God told us to tell you this. I know you're about to give up, but God wants you to know that you're really good at what you do and he still wants you on the team. Wow. Yeah. I mean, seriously, right. It's like, well, that's ridiculous. And I, I, you know, I can't even imagine what my face must've looked like. Right. <laughs> um, now 
did that fix everything for me emotionally and everything? No, but I mean, it's like, that was like, holy mackerel. I mean, um, that, that's what I taught. That's grace, right? That's so that's what I would want people to know is that, um, you know, <laughs> God isn't going to let you go and God in the stuff that you see in the Bible, God pursues. It doesn't mean it's easy. Um, but I um, mean, you know, there's a couple other things that were like that, but that was just like this incredible moment that I'll never forget for as long as I live. Yeah. That was grace in the midst of darkness. Brian, that's an incredible story. Um, I can even tell, I can sense the emotion from you even sharing it. It was so, it was so still real. Um, you know, so many people put pastors on pedestals and seminary professors on pedestals and not realizing that, you know, the, no one's exempt from sin or the pain of life. Um, and, and, and to think that God would love you through that pain or that place, I think gives a lot of our listeners hope that no matter what you're going through out there, um, that God is pursuing you too. And no matter how many times you want to give up, I mean, the psalmist, just about every psalm is kind of this, you go into the pit and then you come right out of it, right? Because God is faithful. So if we see the psalmist going through that cycle, uh, why are we, why do we think people today should be exempt from that? I think God teaches us sometimes the greatest lessons of our faith in those valleys, don't you? Yes. And, you know, and, and I can get really passion. I mean, we, you know, we live, we're in 2020. It's a crazy election. We've had COVID-19. We've had all this racial injustice and we're so divided. And I know like for myself going through the incredible amount of pain that I went through and I, and I, as a pastor, I mean, I've been around a lot of other people that have had a tremendous amount of pain and, and people have always considered me a safe person. So I've heard a lot of stuff and I've just, you know, our, um, our world desperately needs compassion mm. and it needs for disciples of Jesus to not be on pedestals. Mm. Again, we can witness to the sanctifying power of God. So we're not saying let's dumb down and revel in sin. Cause that's not, that, we're not, that there's nothing right. biblical about that, but we have to open our arms wide and stop being surprised of all the hurt, the pain, and the sin in our world. And if we want to be disciplers, we have to be radically for the per people that nobody else wants to be with. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's that's my vision for discipleship. And if anything's taught me is if God uh, again, uh, I had a I've had a blessed life minus you know like about one really horrible year. I will actually say, <laughs> um, but it's grace, right? And I think if anything. Um, I, I want to be a person of compassion. And, you know, that's one of the reasons I enjoy the coaching now and supporting pastors, because I know there's a lot of hurt and the world desperately needs um, good Christian leaders who have been recipients of grace, who can go into the darkest places on the earth and not have the lights snuffed out and instead bring illumination, hope, compassion, joy, peace, all the wonderful things that the Bible talks about. And that's, you know, that's what I'm giving my life to. And that's, you know, that's, um, that's why I like to teach. Um, that's why I like to coach. And that's where I'm writing the kind of books I want to write, um, that I want to write now. I want to, I'm not afraid. To, um, uh, well, I, I want to write books that are real. Hmm. Well, and it's obvious. I mean, I, I will say this, I've been a pastor for 28 years myself. And uh, now as a, as a full-time coach and a disciple maker, um, working with you since April, Brian, uh, we, we got this crazy idea in April to just start reaching out and coaching pastors who were going through this COVID season and not knowing what to do. So <laughs> it's been, I can tell you, Brian, that it's been one of the highlights of my entire ministry. And I don't say that lightly to have 
met you and to be working with you as a co-coach, so to speak. I guess that's what you call that. And just to be pouring into the pastors that you and I have been pouring into with encouragement. And I can say this about you, man, is that two things that really do personify out of you is, or that you personify, is passion and compassion. And so that is a gift. Uh, All your knowledge, yeah, that's great. And uh, your ability to communicate is great. But I think it's your passion and your compassion that leave people better than you find them. And I want to just commend you for that. And I look forward to continuing to coach with you even even longer into the future. We got a we got a bright future ahead, I believe. Tell us a little bit of how you got into coaching for a second, because a lot of people don't really understand what that is. Yeah. Uh, as a pastor, as a seminary professor, but then as a coach, how did you get into that? Well, honestly, um, the coaching is the result of my journey back from getting divorced, where. I immediately decided, and I don't know where this came from. I mean, I've always been interested in personal development, but I realized, oh, geez, I'm divorced. I'm 41. I got, I have a chance to basically reboot my entire life because it, part of it died, right? And so, but I wasn't going to wallow in that. So I wanted to be better, not bitter. <laughs> I wanted 10 years, and it's what's amazing. It's it, this is 10 years, literally, like right now, since everything kind of went instantly south with my, my previous uh, relate, my previous marriage. Um, it's wow. been t- it was September 2010 was when everything just, just exploded. Um, but I wanted 10 years from that, from that point, I wanted to be, um, I wanted to have grown. And so I literally read, um, you know, I'd spent most of my life reading books about the Bible and I still did. I'm a professor of biblical studies, but I just started reading, um, uh, and devouring, um, personal growth literature, uh, coaching books, business leadership books, psychology books. I listened to programs, YouTube videos, podcasts, uh, hired coaches. I mean, Mark, you were one of, you were one of my, you're my favorite coach. That's why it's, it is a real privilege to work with you. So those nice things about me, you helped me a lot in our coaching relationship. And so how did I go into coaching? I, I, I realized this, that my whole life, um, and, I, and I don't blame anybody for this about myself, uh, Christianity was something in my brain that I pictured that I never really got to touch. So it was always an idea that I was striving for, and that created discontent in me. And I realized that, good Lord, I'm chasing something when in fact I needed to experience it. And so for me, my desire to coach people is I'm no longer interested so much in the what, I'm interested in the how. Hmm. I want to help people because I did, I've, I mean, it's, it's been God's grace and all these resources and people and stuff, but I've actually, my, my faith is alive and it's real and it's transparent and it can deal with the good and the bad that comes in the world. And it's not just idealistic. And, um, and I realized it was, I focused too much on the what we still need the what, so I'm not putting that down and even the why, but the how. And so to me, coaching now, we step into this, whether it's spiritual coaching, working with a small business owner, we're helping people to have um, tools, mindsets, and insights that allow themselves to truly open up so that God's grace can flow in because we're the ones that usually block the gospel from actually transforming us. It's not the devil. It's not somebody else. It's us. And coaching to me has been learning the hows of how to operationalize the means of grace so that God's grace can come in and take the manure in my life 
and turn it into a fertilizer that's going to allow a fruit tree to grow or a shade tree or whatever. So, I mean, that's, that's uh, I don't know if that's the answer you're looking for. That, that's a great image. God takes the manure in my life and turns it into fertilizer. <laughs> but I got to let them. You got to let them. Takes time, right? That's what I love about coaching too. I used to, I got confused. A lot of people call themselves a coach, but they're really a consultant. They're bringing their expertise to something in training or guiding. Coaches don't do that. Coaches literally through questions and observations pull the best stuff that's already in another person out so that they can see it, right? And that, and you're really good at it. Uh, having coached hours and hours and hours with you and seeing you do that in real time, uh, I would recommend you, if you're looking for a coach, uh, uh, and you, you, Brian, you'd be the first one I'd call. So uh, we'll, we'll put up a little information about how they could get in contact with you uh, if they're looking to have some direct conversation or direct coaching or, uh, or anything like that. So, well, I want to uh, thank you for your time. You've been very generous. I think we booked this for 30 minutes and uh, we've gone a little bit longer than that, uh, but we're both preachers, you know. That's what and you I'm a professor. It's even worse. <laughs> You just push the tape and I start teaching. So it's like, uh, wind him up and let him go. huh? (laughs) Well, I I love the way you, you focus on the old Testament with a lot of your career, but yet Jesus is so evident in your conversation, your passion and your compassion are what make you uh, a vital force that God's using in the kingdom. So thank you so much for your friendship, for your partnership and coaching and for sharing our, with our listeners today. What would you leave? Let's say there's a person out there listening and they feel like God is urging them to take the next step in faith, and they're hesitant, or they're fearful, or they're not confident, how would you encourage them today? I think I would ask them, who do they want to be two, three, four, five years from now? And what if following Jesus Christ was the only way to become that person that they're seeing in their own mind? And if that were true, then I would say, you know, if you're a connect with a church already, go talk to the pastor or a trusted friend there. If you're not connected to a church, um, I would encourage you to try to find one. Um, and uh, and if you know, and if you're already at a church, you know, pick up your Bible. Maybe try to pray that Lord astonish me. Pray, but um, take action. Don't wait today. Pray to God because uh, God will answer your prayer, Lord. If you're real, reveal yourself to me. But yeah. Um, but you know, just make that an experiment. What if following Jesus Christ were the way to become the person that deep down inside you really want to become? Mm, that's a great word, my friend. Well, thank you so much, Brian. Um, hey, uh, we're looking forward to that book coming out on Centering Prayer. And also, don't forget about that uh, Bible study that he's written called Invitation. It can be found on Seedbed, which is Asbury's, I think, printing resource. I'm sure you can Google that and, and, and find it. If you have questions or you'd like some more resources about disciple making, uh, you can contact us, of course, here at 419disciplemakers.org. Lots of resources there, and we'd love to hear from you. If this was a blessing to you or you have questions or comments, please let us know. Right there on the website, you can can leave those. And we want to just encourage you today, as you live out the Great Commission as a lifestyle, uh, may you be encouraged that this vision that God is giving you of your life, uh, following Jesus, will lead you there. So thank you, Brian, for all your time. God bless you, and uh, God bless you, all you listeners. For more information, check out our website, 419disciplemakers.org. 